My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Welcome back to Transmission. So glad to have you here tuned in today on the show. I'm joined by two lifers of independent rock, Damon Krakowski and Naomi Yang. Their latest is a tremendous album called A Sky Record. Reviewing it for Aquarium Drunkard, Tyler Wilcox said that it was one of Damon and Naomi's most purely gorgeous sounding records. And considering the glories of what's come before, that's a real accomplishment. It features the guitar work of Michio Kurihara, of Ghost and White Heaven, and he adds washes of sound and melodies to the duo's deeply felt folk rock sound. It's it's a great record. Can't recommend it enough. Our talk covers a lot of ground, I think. Uh, We touch on the duo's days in Galaxy 500, the pioneering band. Uh, We talked about Naomi's interest in boxing. We talked about Damon's ever fascinating and insightful takes on the state of the music industry and, uh, and much more. It's so much fun talking with these two. Before we get into it, a quick announcement. This season of Transmissions is coming to a close soon. We'll have shows and maybe a few extra surprises for the rest of this month. But after that, we're going to take a little breather for the holidays, uh, get through that best of the year list season, uh, and then uh, get started on the next season of Transmissions, which will kick off early in 2022. I want to thank you so much for tuning into the show. Uh, there are lots of things you could be listening to, and the fact that you're here spending time with us is something I, I deeply appreciate. If you want to help us keep making this show, uh, spread spread the word. Share share an episode link with a friend via an email or post it to your social media feed, whatever, uh, whatever works. And if you want to take your support even deeper, you can find Aquarium Drunkard over on Patreon. All right, Damon and Naomi in conversation. This is Transmissions. Thank you for joining us. Thank you both. I, I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for asking us. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, been, I've really, really been enjoying the new album, so congrats on that. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. I, uh, I had to wake up this morning and do a bunch of yard work because we've had these really insane storms this summer in Arizona where I'm at, um, and I listened to it while doing yard work, which was really nice. That's really cool. We we woke up and did the same thing. Oh yeah, uh, we, yeah. Did, we did it because we might have some version of a hurricane, so we thought we had to try and you know collect all flowers and fruit that we could. And yeah, yeah, and everything down. Yeah, yeah. The, the the weather is insane here too. What kind of storms have you been having in Arizona? Well, so, um just the the seasonal monsoons like we get these late summer storms uh i I knew that or at least rather it's normal to get them last year in 2020 we we didn't have our storm season which was add that to the list of sort of like apocalyptic uh uh signs you know so so i was really like this year i had my my fingers crossed and i was trying to imagine into existence really really a great storm season and we got it but my neighbor's palm tree like shed uh 
dozens and dozens of these huge palm fronds into my backyard. So that's what I started off the day <laughs> doing. Wow, that's that's really exotic. So is that <laughs> when the de- is that when the desert blooms when the, when these storms come? Um, yeah, I mean, there's the 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 spring is like the better bloom, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But there is sort of like the autumnal bloom or whatever that comes, but. It's still going to be really hot for a while here. That's the beauty of it, or maybe not the beauty of it. But I've lived here my I lived here my whole life, so what do I know? You know, it's like this is hey, hey. this is what I know. Yeah. And where? Which city are you in? I'm in Phoenix. Right. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a, a, a slightly smaller rural town, uh, mm-hmm. halfway between here and Tucson. I don't know right. how much time you have all spent in Phoenix or Tucson. I know I saw Damien and Naomi. I was actually going over my. Uh, notes to get ready and i was like when have i seen damon and naomi and i know i saw you all in 2007 mm. at, at a place called the brick house with oh right with boris, boris? yeah right 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 yeah. i think that may have been the only show we've ever done in phoenix actually with boris yeah it, i think so i don't think we've ever played there before or since yeah, that's great we played we Albuquerque, yeah but otherwise the, our southwestern history has been very very sparse. Yeah. Um, but Boris took us to Phoenix and to El Paso, which we'd never been in. Nice. And, um, you know, because they can play anywhere. But yeah, I vividly remember that day, actually, in Phoenix. Yeah, it was a great, great show. And I remember uh, going, I had, I hadn't been working at a record store very long. It, it maybe had been like a year, a full year or so since I had kind of started working at a record store. And uh, so a bunch of people I knew were into it um, and going both like, you know, obviously Galaxy 500 fans, fans of of your guys' records, but also a ton of people on the Boris side, which was sort of like the Southern Lord, like uh, drone thing. And and I was maybe at that point, like a little bit more on that side of things. So I remember sort of being like, is it going to be weird having these extremes of sort of like very quiet, very loud? It wasn't weird at all. It was so, so good. And I remember just having like a a really great time at that show and realizing like, oh, weirdo guitar music is just <laughs> weirdo guitar music. You know what it I mean? It comes in all different all different volumes. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that was that was a great tour just for that reason and because of I mean, we we sort of we tried to play up the that in our set because we knew there was you know for us sometimes we are like oh we have a slightly louder song at the end of our set but you know we knew there was no (laughs) impress anyone so we just were like okay we'll just play really quietly and the fact that Corey was playing both sets was amazing right exactly Yeah. yeah he had to he had he had double duty that whole tour and was just like and he takes everything really seriously so he was exhausted at the end of it because it's just like you know the concentration from of two sets in a row. Yeah, he he was working. Plus two sound so checks hard. every night. Oh my yeah. god! And he, he changed his setup. Time. He was he he changed his setup of his guitar and his amp for the two different sets. And yeah, he he was just amazing. But it that's how we met Boris was through Kurhara, and um, we got along really really well with them. We're, st- we're still friends with them, and that was a really special tour. Yeah. They had their ba- they had a baby with them. She's all grown up now, but they had a baby with them at the time. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, backstage. Well, I mean, she was like three. Well, she was maybe four. Yeah, yeah, three or four. Still, she had, she had these big headphones, you know, to protect her hearing. Uh, imagine that's yeah. very necessary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and during their show, the tour manager like built like playground out of road cases backstage <laughs> to like entertain her. That's so that's so cool. So that sounds like it's like uh despite the the sort of uh sonic level of violence, it sounds pretty pastoral overall. Sort of, you know, there's like My God, kids yeah, there, and I mean I I don't know I don't know if you found that, but a lot of times like sort of like the loudest, harshest musicians are sometimes like the most gentle. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure, for sure. There's yeah. he's like you you think it's going to be the opposite, but it, it, yeah, they're so scary on stage, but backstage they're like vegetarians and basically hippies. Vegan. You know, no, like no, they're vegan. vegan. Like, yeah, yeah, Boris are vegan. Well, the the um, Atsu and um, mm. yeah, Mwata are are vegan. Wow, um, and they're really really peace loving. And the, but oh they're all. God, I mean, 
also the bass player, he's such a sweetheart. They're just an incredibly kind, lovely people. And yeah, they had their four-year-old on tour and (laughs) the the, the tour manager was also the nanny. And he was the scariest of all because he was this guy they'd met in the Czech Republic and then taken with them on tour. Whoa. And he was, he was like, you know, six foot five, uh, gaunt Czech guy with this like long string of hair, like such a rock dude. And, um, Really, but he barely, was so he was so sweet with the baby. I mean, it was so it was sweet. funny. He barely yeah, communicated like, with anybody else, but with with their child, he was just all over her, and they had a wonderful relationship. The two of them It was really amazing. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it was it was it was a great show, and obviously, you've got Kurihara playing uh, guitar on this record too. So, uh, if 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 I understand the timeline right, uh, you were able to physically work in the studio, right? Before yeah, before the, is, the lockdown? Yeah. So we we were writing the record in 2019 and um, Kuri hadn't been able to travel for a long time, but we were able, we we had to show some shows booked in Japan in the fall of 2019. And we thought, let's go. I'm trying, now I'm trying to remember which came first. Hmm. Like going over did we have the shows first and then we decided to record did we re- yeah we decided to record and then no oh, we no, had an invitation no. no we had an invitation we had an invitation to japan for this festival mm-hmm. and then it was like oh wait if we're going to go there then we can record in person with kurahar which is how we've always done it we've never been sending uh tracks back and forth yeah, yeah. we actually and, we rushed basic tracks in preparation for that right it was a good deadline for us yeah. So, so that we could arrive there with basic tracks and with all the melodies, which Kurahara likes to hear before he sure. um, puts down his guitar parts. And um, yeah, so that was in November, October, November of 2019. And um, it really, that it just, you know, I think, I don't know if you have this feeling with something, you know, something good that happened before the lockdown. Like it just seems like this, like golden yeah. moment <laughs> and it really was it was a fantastic tour it was an amazing experience um we even had some friends come with us uh, on, on tour that um uh my friend suzanne sasek who ended up um taking the photo that we used on the cover ah. and she also did the portfolio photos that we put inside um the liner notebook that yeah. we, we made to go along with the record. But it was just like, it was, and we got to be with um, Kurahara and we hadn't seen him in, in years and we got to play with him. We hadn't been able to play with him for years. So it was somehow this wonderful, wonderful experience. And then, you know, everything yeah. changed. Yeah. But it was sort of that, that experience definitely felt embedded in those tracks. And that's one reason why, um, in doing in doing the companion, the the liner note book that we've done, it, it just felt really nice to be able to share that. Yeah. Um, because it, it felt like so much of the the final putting together of the record came out of the whole circumstance. Right. Yeah. It was, and then because it was right before lockdown, we came home, and what we were intending to do was kind of what we started to do, which was finish the record, and we yeah. we do that at home. So uh, we were home and we were recording over these tracks of, that uh, we'd already put down and in person with Kurahara in Tokyo. And so it was kind of like reliving that, those moments over and over and over all year yeah. to some degree too, because you kept playing the tape back and overdubbing on top of it. Yeah. So, so it was a really, it was a gift because, um, you know, it made what well, made the beginning of lockdown rather easy for us. Because we we had our we didn't have, we weren't in a situation where we were about to go on tour, mm-hmm. we were in we were planning to be home and record, so kind of everything went along according to plan. It just kept going on. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't anticipated. Um, yeah, but it was it was a real gift uh, through the whole year for us. Well, you know, like there really is sort of this contrast. Uh, it's something you noted on on Twitter, Damon. I think you said something like. Uh, that people keep citing the the comforting aspects like critics and stuff yeah, yeah. but but your mom read the lyrics and texted to ask <laughs> if you were depressed and um yeah. <laughs> i think about how 
there, there really is a um <laughs> it's i i can't think of any valid reasons to be depressed these days um but you know uh <laughs> There is something I think that's really interesting about the contrast that that sort of exists in the album, which does have in especially obviously in the music, you know, and certainly in the guitar playing, you know, this sort of like a beautiful uh, warmth that that I mean comes through, you know, and then the lyrics are um, reflective in deep sort of like you know heavy ways because it was a heavy time. We're it's mm-hmm. still a heavy time, you know. So yeah, it it, yeah. it makes so much, but. I just kept the the one song. I mean, I like the whole record, but I keep coming back to the gift. Um, oh, how nice! Thank you. Because I love that that lyric so much. You know, right in the world and so much wrong. Because I mean, that is the that's the thing, right? And and the the lockdown. Obviously, it was a yeah. it was a, the sort of thing where yeah. you had to focus on the parts that did feel good, and there and there were parts that felt good. It felt mm-hmm. good to to hunker down. You know, at least. For those of us fortunate enough to have a place to hunker down, and those Precisely. of us, you yeah. know, um, I read those lyrics. I that were those were some of the first ones I hmm. wrote, um, and that really was as the lockdown was starting to happen. Yeah, and it was, and it. But you know, I mean, I to like misquote quote like you know the spinal tap line like there's there's a fine line between comfort and depression (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) i mean i mean if i if i think about um all the depressive music that i've always loved yeah there's there's kind of both like you think about like listening to nick drake Mm -hmm. right like Mm -hmm. it's so sad but it's also so beautiful and there's something about appreciating that fragility yeah. and that, you know, that, that it, it kind of is comforting in, in some kind of, I mean, the lyrics might be different. Cause I mean, I think our lyrics were, I mean, at least for the ones that I wrote, I felt like it had sort of a dimp- different impetus than like Nick Drake. Yeah. But, I mean, I do think that there's, we, I enjoy a lot of sad music but I've, I find great comfort in it. So no, yeah. I mean, I guess it's not so surprising to me. I don't, I don't, I don't listen to sad music to get more sad. <laughs> no, it's yeah. Not like, it's not like I'm feeling really good today. Therefore, I'm going to listen to some sad music. Like it's yeah. kind of like. <laughs> yeah. know, it's kind yeah, of weird. it's totally true. No, we turn we turn to records like that often for comfort. It's it's true. Yeah, so in a in a way, like it, it was kind of it's just kind of a weird thing because it's very like it's not like oh this record's so cool, right? <laughs> well, it, it is, but uh... <laughs> no, but you know, it kind of it's not like the first adjective that you that you think of. Yeah, sure. That you're like, well, uh, but no, I mean, I definitely think that was what we set out to do. Like that's when Damon first read that to me, was like. Well, that's 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 kind of interesting description. But I was like, but remember, we had all these discussions about how, like, we said, the world does not need more angst. Right. The world does not need more of of our like, you know, uh, I don't know what I can't try to think of like how we put it. But it was like, you know, kind of trauma you know our, yeah. our you know and and we were also we were listening at, at that moment to a lot of instrumental music and the sky records and the things that we actually were finding very comforting yeah and so i guess we didn't use that word but it was a feeling that we were kind of looking for like how can we make a record that would have this piece in it well i think that it was the kind of year right where you had to make your own peace to some degree, you know, and and there's a, there's an active part of that. That's a like, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny because Damon, a couple years ago, we spoke for Aquarium Drunkard. We did like a a, a really great interview that really helped me uh, get my brain sort of uh, wrapped around certain concepts about uh, you know the internet and music and the relationship therein mm-hmm. but I, w- I went back and reread it and one of the things we talked about was sort of the nostalgic impulse and and sort of a, a desire uh because in, in your book which we were discussing i i remarked that the the writing about music was so beautiful you know 
and so experiential and it had that twinge of nostalgia right and um I think that obviously we understand the way in which nostalgia is a pain. You know, that's the root word, right? There's like this mm. like longing, you know? And I think that that longing, when we hear it reflected in music, let's say by Nick Drake or, you know, um, a million other things I think of, you know, the clientele, your records, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Brian Eno, very often. You think about that all the stuff, yeah. all the time. And and uh, you think about how, I, I mean, I think at least, there's a acknowledgement of he hearing that longing reflected back is comforting because it reminds us that everybody else is feeling it, you know, or at least mm -hmm. people who are tuned into it, like, you know, people who we trust, like creators, you know. So right. I, I think about that. It's, it's interesting that you all had conversations about that before all of this and then found yourselves in the position. I mean, were you ever, either of you ever nervous, like, there's going to be a million quarantine records. Did that ever come up, you know, in, in conversation? Yeah, I mean, it was this well, I mean, you, I mean, we weren't setting, you know, it wasn't like it was just, that's what we were doing. Yeah. And you kind of know that you're affected as an artist by your time and place. I mean, you know, we love old film and, you know, it's like, okay, film noir would came out post-war post-world war ii so it's just you know you're sort of stuck in your time to some degree that's right there's no getting so, around but it. we didn't want it to be like you know called you know quarantine record or something <laughs> like we didn't want it to only be that i think it's yeah, a good but, I mean, we just yeah. we were yeah. resigned yeah but i think we were trying not to just write about quarantine per se but yeah that was the thing it was yeah. like you know looking at these four walls again. Right. <laughs> yeah. But then but then a lot 366 of 366 days. Right. <laughs> a lot of that did come in. I mean the weird thing about the quarantine was also that this this idea that we had of of um wanting to not put kind of our petty problems in uh, like like highlight them. That started before. It was really out of Trump and yeah. you know, kind of and really Black Lives Matter yeah. and like it was. You know, it was in, It was already in 2019 before yeah. that, that we had that idea for the record. Because it's like you know a lot of heavy things going on, That's and right. we're yeah. we are fully cognizant of our relatively very privileged position, and so it was kind of like, boy, yeah. just don't you know the world does not need yeah. us moaning about you know whatever, and. Yeah. Uh, but the, and then quarantine happened, so it, it it was kind of you know it played into the same thing. It it did highlight, um, as you said, it is an active search for your own piece that that really was rewarding in many ways. Yeah. But it definitely did, I think, have this effect of um, focusing on us, focusing on focusing us on uh, how much we have and and uh, how lucky we are in that regard. You know. Yeah. And being able to be home and was already I mean physically safe, obviously because we didn't have a job that we had to go to like so many men and all those kinds of things. It really just made, made me feel very grateful. Yeah. At the same time, it's like, well, the world's falling apart and our industry's falling apart and we're out of work. And, you know, it's like, there's a yeah. lot of, there are a lot of problems going on uh, that we're yeah. a part of. So um, yeah. it, 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 very complicated time. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I mean, just, just to go back to your point about like the melancholy and, you know, the comfort mm -hmm. in melancholy or listening to music like that. I, I mean, it's funny because we've always loved going to Japan and working with Japanese musicians, but the whole concept of sort of the beauty um, and the comfort or, you know, just, I don't know, the beauty and the source of strength, I guess, mm -hmm. in the melancholy is very, it's a, People are not unfamiliar with that in Japan and in Asia, I think, as much as in the U.S. I think in the U.S., you know, we're kind of more programmed to think of like, you know, hilarious, funny things are fun and good and make you happy. And, yes. you know, anything sad or introspective is going to bum you out. Right. But there's like a much greater tolerance and understanding of that. I think in, in Japan, certainly we found and in Asia. Um, and so, and that's, you know, a lot of that sort of 
the sort of Buddhist sort of the, the sort of appreciation of right. of the transience and the 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 sad you know the, the things that are passing, but it's sort of heightening your appreciation and your awareness. That's and so that's you know, right. I feel like that's very much um, a part of our aesthetic. That mm-hmm. you know, I think sometimes. Um, you know, people, some people just intuitively understand, but for other people, it's just like, oh, that's so gloomy. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's funny though, because you're, so as, as, as big movie buffs, uh, did you find yourself watching more comedies or, or dramas, uh, during quarantine? I'm curious. We watched all the Kurosawa samurai films. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's great. I find yeah. that. I find myself thinking about how often, I mean, I I, I watched a lot of movies. I watched a lot of Mm -hmm. kinds of movies, you know. But when it came to comedies, I did find myself either looking for Mm -hmm. the dumbest possible thing or (laughs) or the the best kind of comedy where where there's a sadness to the comedy, you know. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't don't know. I think so much about, I think you're you're, you're very right, Naomi, that there is, no, it's like the binary sort of is, is in America, it's so, uh, such a sharp contrast where it's like, it can't. It's like Friday night party, we're having fun, Mm -hmm. and, you know, or. Or or just like this depressive, mopey thing, you know. Right, right, right. I mean, I remember, I mean, for years, when we were in Galaxy 500, um, and, you know, and before there was so much, you know, before it was social media, and so there would just be like an interview would be here and there, but people didn't really get a chance to, yeah, you know, interact with you, right, as much or whatever. People we hadn't been around so long, but people were always like surprised to meet us, like, oh, like, yeah, you're so like you like have fun, like, <laughs> yeah. like you're friendly, yeah. you're not just like crying, you know, right. in the back of the van all the time, and it's like you know oh yeah for... I mean, sometimes sometimes definitely trying in the back of the well, we... but everyone does that's just that's, that's no. but, but actually i was also thinking about gas 500 too because uh when we first started out in the u.s we got a lot of reviews saying that we were gloomy and and mopey yeah and then we went over to england mm-hmm. and it was the same response to the music but they said that we were melancholy yeah and all these uh, sort of sensitive music journalists gravitated to the band, yeah, and were sort of pouring their hearts out in reviews of our records, right? And it was it was this complete opposite response to exactly the same quality of our music. Yeah, that's so uh, interesting. That's so interesting, especially and and has you know I imagine that when you've been putting out records as long as the the two of you have that unavoidably uh, there start to become similarities in the in the the process the just the rote process of putting a record out you know this one some interesting circumstances that aren't normally in place and so mm-hmm. there's that but i was thinking a lot about how I have to imagine that you you make a record and then you go out on tour you know you travel and you're talking about going from place to place and getting to interact you know, personally with these other cultures, you know, have to imagine that that helps to process the ideas in the songs and live in the songs on the, in a way that like now that's just not really a possibility. Is, is that a, is yeah. that a pretty, uh, is that a pretty like, you know, bummer thing for the, for the both of you? That was Absolutely. so perceptive. Makes yeah, you depressed. Yeah. Yeah. That has <laughs> no, been the no, most depressing thing no, about this experience. Because actually. actually we did just the one show recently mm-hmm. in Brooklyn and it was, you know, preparing for it. And then it was kind of like, uh, and now we just go home and you know, if we were going on tour for, you know, six weeks, two months, those songs would really grow and change. That's right. And, really bloom i mean you see a band at the beginning of a tour and you see the band at the end of a tour and inevitably especially with new songs yeah um the things change mm-hmm. and um you know and it's kind of wonderful the songs mature yeah kind of yeah and, yeah and you start playing them you know you start knowing them more as like muscle memory and then you can kind of stretch out inside them that's right but that's these poor songs are just like they're like 
stunted. <laughs> they're just well, I don't know, because, frozen. Although the other thing that happened with this record, which might be a quality of this album as opposed to a lot of our others, is we spent way longer recording it sure, than so, usual. So maybe and they so, got to grow a little before they would have. I actually think that happened huh. um, because we would have, and even this record, the plan was finish the record in the winter of, of 2020 and be on the road right. by, by the late, you know, by late summer, early fall. Yeah. So, um, you know, we would never have spent as many months as we did with these mm-hmm. songs. And I do think that they came out differently because of that. I think yeah. we, we got the opportunity to layer them more and also just um, sort of live with them longer than we usually do at that stage. But that doesn't help the muscle memory when performing. That's no, right. performing. No, I mean, the <laughs> thing like, about like going, you're probably you know, going to have to learn how to play the songs now or whatever. Totally. Yeah, I mean, to yeah. do one show, we had to basically prepare this exact same way you would for a whole tour. Yeah. So we went down to Brooklyn, you know, like ready to go on the road. You know, and yeah. Just yeah. like we came home. Yeah. The next you day. can't. You can't just just because it's one show it doesn't mean you can do any less work in yeah. preparing in learning the songs. That's you right. Have to, you have to be able to play them yeah. that one night. Yeah. And for us, that also means coming up with arrangements that are just for the two of us and, yeah. you know, all this. But anyway, but but I do think that the songs um, got richer over the year. Sure. And I don't think they would have sounded the same, um, you know, had we not been locked in our house and just continued recording. We didn't stop recording. We just kept going. Yeah. I mean, finally, the record's out because we basically gave ourselves a deadline at the end of all that to say like we got to just like okay sure time to mi- time to mix because you yeah. have you have to stop it's at some point it, it it probably could just keep going and you end up yeah, with yeah, some sort of yeah. chinese democracy situation exactly or whatever, yeah you know? yeah you can definitely <laughs> yeah, you, need go that, past you, need the a, point. you need an artificial exterior deadline yeah and so. usually that deadline is tour it's sort of like get the record out go on the road to make sure. your plans sure and we didn't have that so so it did become time it was like we got to stop Partly it was physical. We ran out of, of tracks. We still, I still mix analog mm. for us. And so we do have a cap on how many tracks we can make use of. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's probably good to some degree, right? You know, just it like is. A, built, a built in. I, yeah, I've never wanted to get rid of that. We yeah. do now record uh, to hard drive, which means in theory, we could have an infinite number of tracks like people do. Yeah, but I don't mix that way. So um, in the end, I've got to to whittle it down and pick and choose, or combine, or um, mm-hmm. do sub mixes. Like so, kind of all the old things that you would do to to collapse things back onto twenty four track. Um, so we we were out of space, um, and it just felt like okay, that's it. But even up to the last minute, Naomi added a whole. Um, it is probably subtle for people, but to me, it really jumps out. We at the kind of last minute she added another layer of keyboard sounds a keyboard sound that we've never used before um, which is the Fairlight, which is an early digital synth and this was of course um a, a synth version of a digital synth we don't know yeah. we don't own a Fairlight, which is an insane machine with an early sure um computer uh display and all that stuff but um naomi found that she could download Fairlight sounds that sounded really nice to her Nord, which she uses. And suddenly we went back over the record and plugged a bunch of holes that we felt in the, were there in the arrangements um, with this new palette of songs. So that was like kind of down to the last minute. I mean, that was like right before we mixed. That's... Um, so it, it, again, it was just like, that would never have happened. It was just, you know, sure. it was months and months and months of kind of like listen, making rough mixes and listening to them at home or in the car when we're doing errands and thinking about what else could happen or what else what else was needed by the uh by the time that the two of you finish a record uh the time you're describing you know how uh how finished is it based is it sequenced by the time you know is that is that a you know is that something that happens or is that what comes after that that stopping point yeah usually uh, originally for us it was after Mm-hmm. Um, we would sort of record everything and then you mix and then you kind of listen to the tracks. I think we did that this time. We sequenced but, it after. But this time, we mixed it. yeah, but, but we had, yeah, we sequenced after we mixed, but not after the final, final. Anyway, the last couple records, we've, we've had more of a concept of the 
sequence in place than usual. Sure. Um, the last one, because it was a soundtrack to a film Naomi made called Fortune. Yeah. And that had to go in sequence to the film. Right. So, so that was a really new experience because we knew exactly how it would flow. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know. I feel like we, 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 we uh, it wasn't mastered, but it I think wasn't we, mastered. It wasn't mastered, but we sequenced it. Yeah. Yeah. Like after yeah. we had the the final mixes, yeah, yeah. but that's yeah. sort of that's sort of normal because you sort of have to see, you know, how it's going to balance, and then also you think about LPs, right? Like yeah, it, yeah. That. This one is sequenced for an LP. I mean, there will, be, will be one day, yeah. one day. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I, I was thinking about that. You know, that's the other thing. Obviously, uh, there's the like the world, right? There's like here are all the problems in the world, and then there's like here are all the problems specifically facing the music industry. And obviously, obviously, there's like the real world problems are playing into the music industry problems yeah. because it's not mm -hmm. like you know every industry is kind of screwed up right now, but. One of the problems that, of course, this pandemic and the fallout thereafter, you know, has revealed, of course, is just like all the janky systems that were duct taped together, just kind of those gave out, too. And mm -hmm. um, and obviously you assembled a, a liner notes book, you know, as a way of sort of like putting forth something physical into the world that does represent this album. But, you know, the uh, the, the vinyl's not going to come out for a while because there's a. Uh, there's a backup, you know, and there's like yeah. a, and there's lots of reasons for the backup and most yeah. of them are, are bad and most of them are avoidable in some, in some cases. I mean, obviously when it comes to the raw goods and the, mm -hmm. and the fact that people go on tour and that's mm -hmm. how they, and that's what a lot of times the, the product is sequenced to that event, you know? So with all of that disrupted, it's not all just the music industry is, is corrupt and, and flawed. But a lot of it is those things <laughs> coming into play, you know. So, so I I think about you know obviously you've published you've to, together have published books you know with Exact Change. Um, mm -hmm. You've you've been very vocal about the Justice at Spotify movement. There's all this that is is tied into it. But I just wonder, you know, if I ask the two of you to put your like utopian hats on, the feeling I had at the start of the pandemic was like. And there's still a part of me that when I focus and try, I can get back to this place. It's like, it kind of will have to get better, right? Because mm -hmm. at some point, it won't be possible for it to get worse, you know? <laughs> like, um, or, or, or maybe it, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are lower depths that have not yet been hit. But at some point, you know, I really do wonder if if either of you feel like we are living in a moment, or 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 what you what you make of this moment, you know? What are the way? What are some maybe maybe what are some of the possible ways forward? Are there you know are mm -hmm. there good ones you know? Yeah, I feel like there's a moment of readdressing that people are in. It feels pretty general, like everybody's kind of was forced to yeah. readdress, uh, you know, their 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 habits, yeah, um, their work life. I mean, you read these articles now about how many people have left their jobs, not only because of COVID issues, but also kind of thinking like, wait a minute, life is kind of precious. Is this really working out? And yeah, you know, there's there. I think breaking the routine can be very very useful. Um, personally and also societally. Um, there's also a lot of chaos that comes from it, which is, has not been so great. But right. but I do think that there is a chance to readdress. And I mean, to things like in the music industry, I think we have been on a treadmill of surviving through touring and playing live. Um, not me and Naomi personally, because our, our touring has always been the other way around, the old-fashioned version of supporting our recordings. Right. Um, getting the word out and sharing them as widely as we can, and then also enjoying, um, you know, the travel and meeting people. But for a lot of bands, touring has become uh, their sole means to financial um, survival. And the pressure of that is can be really pretty corrosive um, to bands and, and to people. And, and so I do think that, you know, kind of rethinking that is an opportunity for a lot of the industry. Um, part of the justice. I mean, the is... musicians' union that um, 
Damon's been working with all year, I don't think it wouldn't have happened had it not been for the pandemic. No, absolutely not. Because they were able to meet several times a week, have Zoom meetings at 6 p.m. at night. Like what touring musicians couldn't do that. Right. You know, it's like the mill sound check. And all of a sudden everyone was at home. Yeah. Like, hey, you know, a lot of this situation is really not good for us. the right. way the, the way the music business is working and what can we do about it but i always think like you guys would have never been meeting several times a week no Zoom. totally in no fact, way but, yeah no and as things started to open up now they're sort of closing back down but in that first moment of kind of optimism and people booked a lot of shows it suddenly got hard for us to arrange our regular meetings like yeah. we're still having them but but fewer people were showing up because we're getting all you know emails from people like, oh my God, I can't, I'm, I'm playing a show, I'm, I'm traveling. Yeah. Um, which unfortunately has turned around again. But but it is a moment to readdress. And I think, you know, for music, the thing is we do have this amazing ability to communicate long distance. I mean, that is built into the technology of recording. That's the whole point. Yeah. And that's been sold short by the industry for a long time uh, for all kinds of reasons. And it, it, it does feel like we need to revalue recordings yeah Yeah. i i couldn't agree more i i found myself thinking so much about i mean but obviously i make a podcast and i do radio stuff and so i understand you know sort of what you're talking about about i want to get my ideas out there i want to showcase Mm -hmm. the ideas of people who i think are you know doing incredible things all that stuff you know uh, so there is there there has been that sort of we yeah we as a culture have shortchanged sort of the 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 still untapped radical potential of the idea of recording you know and mm-hmm. and of things being able to exist so I I felt like obviously when you see um, the way live streams took off and the way that people were able to. never recreate the sensation and the immediacy and the primacy of like a physical you know event but nonetheless try out new forms and new ideas and and communicate Mm -hmm. you know in new ways and then you think uh once again though about how like i i find myself thinking like if every artist could could do a neil young's archive type thing i mean imagine how incredible that is and the technology exists but something else that you've also been very outspoken about is the corporate consolidation that is definitely not interested in handing over the 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 reins you know and turn directly to artists but mm-hmm. i i do wonder though if artists just have to start taking it back you know um mm-hmm. by whatever means they can to whatever extent they can you know uh take back what you can how long ago did 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 you two start your label, uh, 2020? That was in 2005, I think it was. It was for the album. The first album we did for ourselves on it was The Earth is Blue. Mm. And that was because we'd kind of parted with Sub Pop and we're th- you know, looking at other labels and thinking about what to do. And um, it was a moment when suddenly, really because of digital technology, it became easier to be working on your own without a label's help for things like distribution and communications and marketing. And um, and we were advised by uh, Ben Goldberg, who runs Bada Bing Records and became briefly our manager at that moment um, to really just consider doing it on our own. I think it was very prescient because now a lot of bands are, are self-releasing Part of the re- part of the strategy for self-releasing does depend on the whole digital thing. So unfortunately, it does depend on the devaluation of physical product because you hold your all your digital rights yeah. when you self-release, and when you sign to a label, you basically give them fifty percent at minimum of your digital rights. And so, as physical stuff becomes less important to the industry, your digital rights become more valuable as a proportion of what you're controlling. And so giving away half your digital rights becomes less and less um, attractive for what you get back for it. Uh, so that, that was the decision we made. And we made it for Galaxy 502 together with our ex-bandmate Dean. Mm-hmm. And those are on 2020-20 also. Yeah. Because, um, because at that moment, we had a conduit. And the discussion with Dean was very cold-hearted. It was just, 
you know, we had our, our, res- our records license to Domino at that moment. It was like, do we want a license to a U.S. label as well, or do we want to hold 100% of our digital rights? And, and the clear decision, financial decision, was hold our digital rights. Yeah. Even though it means selling a probably less product because we don't have the, the capability of Domino, say, to, to push as much out in the market. Yeah. But, yeah. but that's why. That's yeah. why. And, um, you know, it's, but we're not a great label, I have to say. <laughs> well you don't have to worry i guess you have creative control you don't have to worry about anybody else saying this well, is that, how you should that, do it well, yes that, that was something that's always been important to us so. <laughs> yeah. yeah i love We've only, yeah i you, you know i do i did though i mean i um i have a lot of records and i i i, I like vinyl you know and i and i've i've built a, a big chunk of my life around you know vinyl working in record stores uh you know doing releases with labels things you know and and so i i love i love vinyl but i have found myself in recent months and over the last year you know just sort of like so frustrated and sick of like the incessant bullshit that like bogs the that whole thing down you know uh and and also the straight up frustration of understanding that like the stuff just can't get made yet you know mm-hmm. so in that time i found myself certainly embracing cds more i never gave up on cds as is you know mm-hmm. tapes um and yeah also things like music books you know so mm-hmm. I, I do wonder if as as <laughs> take off your utopian hats and put your label hats on you know are there a lot of unexplored sort of creative possibilities in a maybe sort of post not post vinyl because it'll come back and it, it it never went away to start you know for sure people it, it, it's just more of a niche thing you know but do you feel like you know things like a discless book or or what are some of the other possibilities do you think that there is a, a a a in this absence or you know uh with the necessity to come up with these things do you think people are coming up with interesting things well i mean you always have to have you know you always want to have the music right first yeah but it, it was more i think a sort of old-fashioned frustration that there was going to be nothing physical yeah. for us and um that idea that oh but we could make really uh, we could the the record pressing plants the record printers couldn't had no time mm-hmm. to be able to do it to make our deadline but uh a book printer could yeah make a deadline yeah <laughs> and so it was it was sort of remembering that part of the pleasure of physical media is the package and the liner notes and all the ephemera that comes with it and listening to the music and if you're enjoying it you know looking at the lyrics or looking at the 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 liner notes on the back and so yeah we it was sort of like well why don't we make this part of it at least which has gotten eliminated Mm -hmm. uh so much anyway um so i mean i think of course first there always has to be music (laughs) right (laughs) yeah but um, those other aspects of enjoying a record or getting, or, or certainly a record that you love, like you certainly know how, like you see like the cover of a record that you love and it kind of makes you sort of, you know, yeah. happy, like remembering it or, oh, yeah. you know, it means something to you. And, and that's not just how, you, that's not how you would feel just about like the name of an album in a list that you scroll down on your phone. Like, that's right. So. I don't know. I think it was, you know, we kind of came up with the idea and it, then it was really fun because it was also a way during the lockdown to again, be collaborating with friends and asking, you know, thinking back of who contributed to this record from the beginning and asking them to tell their stories about it. So, yeah. you know, at the very beginning of thinking about the records, we were record, we were on tour with Richard Young. So that we had him write about it. The, the crazy tour experiences and um and at the end of of the recording when we were in japan we were with uh, our friend suzanne and so we asked for those photographs from yeah. japan so you know it was kind of this fun way to sort of wrap the whole package around the record and and and, and give this uh non-physical record a, a, a physical life 
but but I, I also I do enjoy downloads. I have to say. I mean, I, I have I have a collection of music yeah. that I only have as downloads. And yeah, I was that, interested in your list, Jason, of uh, what you were. You said um, CDs and cassettes, but you didn't say downloads. Oh no! Like your list of what you've been turning to. Uh, I I have I have I have been. Uh, I think the the simplest way for me to answer that is that I. I downloads absolutely like to an insane degree i just oh, I, I just i that just was like a given i just almost, I, given. the tr- the sad truth is that <laughs> i i just almost don't even think about it you know at this mm-hmm. point because i, right, I right, and right. i do and i save them and they are uh semi-organized obviously but it's usually organized on like what i need to hear uh, what's going what's right, what's right. for the radio show what is mm-hmm. for me to like right. listen to be- before i talk to so and so you know what i mean so like right, 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 right. the 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 downloads thing is it's a little like uh, it's just it's just part of it you know and and right, i understand right, right. i understand the the degree to which that is not the case for a lot of people though truly mm-hmm. like and and I, and I i do know that and i and i do uh I do try to think about that, you know, and in its own in in downloads in their own way, they require all the same annoying, you know, uh, responsibilities that physical stuff is too. If you want to keep it, at least you have to figure out where to move it and you have to get it off mm-hmm. of this computer because at some point, um, you know, you've got too much crap and, and your computer's totally. not running and all this stuff. So you have to like you have to attend to it. And I understand why people don't necessarily want to do that. And I understand why for those people streaming seems like a true, just like no brainer. It's mm-hmm. just when you start to think about it at all that you understand all of the limitations, chiefly the limitation that you're only then going to hear what that company has decided is worth them, you know, getting out into the world. And you simply can't trust anybody with that responsibility if you, mm-hmm. if you value it, you know? So, so, but yeah, like we're living in a golden age of downloads right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are rare live recordings and live sets of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing, you know, when you think about it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I like that the golden age of downloads. It is. I, 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 I totally agree. Yeah. And, and then all this stuff, because our cassette player broke and we didn't repair it. I just started downloading the cassette only releases. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> No, and I mean it, and it's great. It's it, and and all of that. It's like the the. It's never been more. Um, it's never been more possible to access things, you know, in terms of stuff that just like we wouldn't have been able to do. Even when I started using the internet as a young music listener, it 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 was it was much more difficult to find mm-hmm. and and track this stuff down. And so yeah, we are living in an incredible age, and that you know is something where I I was thinking about this as as I was getting ready for for the the show which is that i mean obviously your music is available on spotify people can mm-hmm. access it and i you know assume do access it you know these technologies do exist in people's lives and there is always that um that question of you know uh, is it worth making sure that it's there if somebody is trying to access it is that sort of what kind of conversations have the two of you had about about that side of things? You know, I think we've never. I think had I a... never talk about that. He just started <laughs> talking about that. I'm just like, okay. Yeah, he like I'm... thinks enough about that for like six of us. Yeah. What I was gonna say is we've never had a conversation about like not having our music somewhere for yeah. sure, and so I think that's why we have we don't have that kind of conversation. I mean, I think. You know, you make music to share it. I mean, it's, I've just never had any other feeling. And I think, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't think you ever have either. No, I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's like why you get out of, you know, playing guitar in your bedroom, right? Yeah, that's right. And we've never been very big into the limited edition thing either, you know, um, because, um, you know, you pour yourself into a recording and it, and it, it can disappear into a kind of collectible that people can't but we're not prolific enough i think you have to be just you have to be a much more prolific person to be like these six songs i wrote this morning just to start getting remixers involved okay? yeah get a exactly. lot of remixers yeah, precisely you know? yeah but i mean from the very first single i mean the first gox 500 single was a limited edition yeah. and all i remember about that was resenting it it wasn't our decision it was the guy who paid for it to put it out and and it became a problem immediately because it sold out. And it was like, wait, 
this is all we've got. Yeah. Like all we have to our name at this moment is two songs on two sides of a seven inch single and nobody can get it. You know, it's well, like, he, that's he a disaster. By reprinting it, by switching the colors on the cover and reprinting yes, it. We had to convince him to repress and he was yeah. like, well, I got to press it. I got to make a difference so the collectors will buy both. It's like, ah, we just want more people to hear it. Yeah. Like we don't want the same people to hear it again. Uh-huh. You know? And, um, that was actually also the impetus behind when we did the Gas Remember box set, we made a fourth disc. There are only three albums that we made, studio albums. We made created a fourth disc of B-sides and singles, and and that's called Uncollected Galaxy 100. And at least in my mind, the title meant we're taking it away from collectors mm-hmm. only mm-hmm. and putting it back into everybody's hands. Because a lot of those tracks had been stuck on impossible to find places yeah you know um all places that we enjoyed uh putting things out with like a, a bonus with a zine or whatever sure. but it was like now only the at that moment only the collectors have them mm-hmm. so it was a play on on literary titles on collected also but it was also like this is like decollecting it you know like yeah yeah make it for everybody and that is the thing about spotify and all everything online is uh, it can get everywhere, and that's a that's a big plus. Yeah. And I never want to I never want to stop seeing that as a plus. Yeah, no, uh, I, yeah. I I I understand that for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, since you're the one who has a lot of the thoughts on this topic, uh, <laughs> Na- Na- Naomi, I wondered if I could ask you real quick before we wrap up about about boxing and your relationship with boxing. Oh yes. Forget box set. Oh, that's, that's, a whole, box that's, a, that's a whole podcast in itself. Okay, okay, okay. Well, so, oh, but come on, you got to give an answer. <laughs> what well, a teaser! How, how did that? How did that come up? Box set, boxing. That, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm as a as a professional podcaster. It's my job to look for the clearest segues, and box set into boxing. Is cl- is the the shortest and best one, uh, but no, uh, uh, I am interested though. So I know. So have you? Are you still working on uh, a documentary? Is that? Uh, is is that? Where? where is, yeah. What stage is that in? Um, I am pretty much in the editing stage of um, a personal documentary that I've been working on for a while now about. Um, discovering this boxing gym and uh, boxing itself in East Boston about four years ago. Um, and East Boston is uh, on the other side of the airport from where we live. It's like in another, it's 10 miles away, but it's like another world yeah. compared to Cambridge. And um, it's beautiful and interesting and it has this incredible history. and. By discovering boxing, I also got involved in the neighborhood and the people there and um, learned a lot about boxing, fighting back, and the history of activism in the neighborhood. Um, So I'm making sort of this collage personal documentary about all these things. And um, it's been fantastic spending time there and photographing this neighborhood. And the gym is hilarious and intense. And uh, I miss going there so much. Wait, so, <laughs> I, I, so, so have you not been able to get back uh, very well, much? Well, I was after we, after we were vaccinated. Mm-hmm. I went back um, for a couple months. Yeah. And now recently, um, there's a lot of unvaccinated people at this gym yeah. that are very proud to be unvaccinated <laughs> i mean it's a you know complication like the complicate the complications of communities yeah we we, yeah, we know you communities know. and you know you're in a place where people are super tough and they're in the be you know tough in all sorts of ways and so and it's it's a small gym and there's you know all those things like yeah go to the gym where there's you know six feet apart from people right. and, 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 and and that's just not happening there so i sort of have since the whole delta variant has reared its ugly head i've been kind of not there so much because there's also you know no one's wearing a mask except for me right <laughs> yeah grandma grandma boxer here <laughs> and uh so you know i hope i'll be able to go back again because i really miss it yeah I, I, and i'm not allowed to box in the house <laughs> uh, we, we have we have a we have a rule in the house that that uh, by my request which is no boxing in the house okay 
because it, 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 it like, I mean, Naomi has, has fists of fury and it makes my adrenaline spike. Yeah. I'm just like, I can't do this. Uh. <laughs> I'm like, let me show you this cool thing. He's like, no. <laughs> and then he's like, no boxing in the house. This is a no boxing zone. I'm like, I gotta do it. No. Yeah, no she's box. gotten very fast. It's scary. <laughs> yeah, I'm not right. Well, th- well, I'm fast in our house, but it, in the gym, I'm not very fast at all. Sure. I'm like, I'm very, I will actually, once I was doing something, I was doing the speed bag, you know, it's the, it's the one that hangs that makes the rhythm, da, 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 yeah. like, you know, any boxes movie they always do. And I was doing it. I was like really enjoying getting it. <laughs> the, the Sal, the guy who owns the gym, the trainer who's like in my film, he came over to me and he was like, you're doing it so slowly. <laughs> It moves so slow. It's just like I was like, I've made a career. Yeah. Like my rhythm is slow. I was like, yeah. I love it. You're like you're like back at some like punk club in you know nineteen early eighty whatever, and somebody's also griping about you going way too slow or whatever. No, I mean actually, when we were talking before about the whole melancholy thing, and you were you were you were we were talking about Galaxy of Hundred. I mean, what did come to mind at that moment? also was just like how weird that was at the time because we were surrounded here you know by like it was like dinosaur jr and it was the pixies and you know it was like all these it was just so weird yeah it it was just so weird and now i mean in a way now it's less weird right like now there are a lot more people that play slowly and quietly well but at the time it was really just like what? Yeah, it was. It was like, what's wrong with that? It, it was. It was counter to the trend at the time, for sure. Well, I mean, we we owe that, of course, to 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 people like yourselves, uh, blazing the path and, and uh, <laughs> make, making Still it slow, making it Still slow. <laughs> making it safe to be slow and quiet, and and also, of course, very beautiful. Like I said, this record, it <laughs> it, it really is. It's such a it's such a it's such a good album, and um, thank you. Wait, that should be our bumper sticker, like <laughs> like in our merch, like make Dana and Naomi making it safe to be slow for thirty years. Yeah, yeah but if, you, if it's a bumper sticker, you'd really get in trouble because Naomi drives really fast. Okay. Yeah. See, that's the thing. That's like people saying, "Oh, why aren't you gloomy and sad?" Yeah. Like you play so slowly, but I like to drive ninety miles an hour. Yeah, like, yeah, oh. yeah. And that was the other thing to me. It was like it was so funny, like being like I was like, I'm the last person people would think would be like doing boxing because like of our music sure and and that kind of amused me but you know of course i just no one in the ever heard of our band so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's this weird because I was from Cambridge when, when they ask what kind of music you play do you, do you just say rock music no I I'm like well sort of slow I kind of like singer songwriter I kind of like yeah that, yeah, I just I don't try and give them the wrong impression. Usually, I say music, and they're like, "Oh, is it classical music?" I'm like, <laughs> in a way, maybe. <laughs> it's, it's... At the gym, they're saying classical to you, really? No, not at the gym, not at the gym. Okay. No, that's like at the at the airport, right? When we're carrying, they're like, "Oh, are you classical musicians?" Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it's been such it's been such a pleasure <laughs> hanging out with with the both of you this morning. Thank you so much for taking the time to to be here with us. Thank you, Thank Jason. Thank you for your, having us. Yeah, and your insights to, to the whole process are really appreciated. They're really intuitive and great. You act invincible. You always seem so strong. You say Damon and Naomi on Transmissions. I'm Jason Woodbury. I write, host, and produce the program. Andrew Horton edits our audio. Visual assets by Sarah Goldstein and Jonathan Mark Walls. And our executive producer, top of show announcer, and main man is Justin Gage. He founded Aquarium Drunkard in 2005 and hosts the Aquarium Drunkard show on Sirius XM every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. California time. You're not going to find a better program. I appreciate you tuning in. Thanks so much for spending time with us here. 
Love to hear what you're thinking of the show. You can find my contact info over at AD, and you can find me on most of the social media platforms. Let me know what you're thinking. Aquarium Drunkard, of course, is on Patreon if you want to help keep the servers humming. Next week on the show, Jeffrey Alexander of Direwolves and the Heavy Litters. Until we're back in the same zone, stay safe. Thanks so much for listening to Transmissions.